0: Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders, past, present, and those emerging.
0: The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children.
1: Thank you. Um, are you aware why we're here? Yes. Um, you understand that this is an inquest into the disappearance of an 18-year-old girl or young woman um, in June of 1978? Yes. Without being unduly rude about it, you have a career of committing criminal offences from about the age of nine years until the importation, which of course you deny. Of course I deny it. Yeah, we're putting that aside. Do you agree that you've led a life of crime? No. Seriously? Serious? You don't think you've led a life of crime? No, do you? Well, it doesn't much matter what I think mercifully. Well, you're, you're making the assertion. I'm asking He's you. asking your a observations. Answer. He's asking a question. He's not making an assertion. Would it be fair to say that you appeared in court charged with a great many crimes before you were 20? Well, I don't know a great many. Well, more than the average. Well, what's the average? All right. Well... I don't know, you say, but my present information is to think that you have committed, or at least been accused of committing, more than the average number of crimes oh, by the time you were 20. I don't say I'm an angel, I'm all not I, saying mate. All right, well, we're getting somewhere. We've descended from the status of angels. Let's just get it down to the status of human beings.
0: Asking the questions there is Justice Peter Hamill of the Supreme Court of New South Wales. Well, that's who he is now, but back then, in 2011, he was acting as counsel assisting the New South Wales coroner, and the man he was questioning was Neville Tween. He was a person of interest in the 1978 disappearance of Sydney teenager Trudy Adams. That matter remains unsolved, as do many matters linked to Neville Tween and his associates, including a string of sexual assaults committed around Sydney's northern beaches in the 70s and 80s. These cases are the subject of the second series of the ABC true crime podcast Unravel, Baron Joey Road. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Unraveled, Baron Joey Road inspired an ABC documentary series of the same name. The two journalists who worked on both those projects are Neil Mercer and Ruby Jones and three years after the podcast first aired they're still investigating the story and still turning up new leads because what they discovered very early on was that the disappearance of Trudy Adams was just the beginning arguably more important than what happened to Trudy is the question of how Neville Tween was able to operate seemingly with immunity for decades. There's a link to the second season of Unravel in the show notes of this episode of Australian True Crime and Neil Mercer and Ruby Jones have just released a book that expands upon the podcast and the documentary and adds new information to the story. Neil joined me to talk about it.
2: I guess in 1978, I was a relatively junior reporter. I'd started about five or six years earlier. So I was aware of the Trudy Adams case. I mean, it was a big, big case in, in New South Wales, in Sydney. Um, it dominated the afternoon papers, the tabloids in particular. June, July uh, and into the rest of 1978, she was a, a young girl from a very good family and she just disappeared into thin air and the homicide squad had gone up to the northern beaches of Sydney, which is this, you know, beautiful area, good, you know, surf and all that sort of thing. And I remember that she'd just vanished without trace. And I think the theory back then was the Kuringai Chase National Park, which is vast, which is just back from the, the, the beaches. I think the theory at the time was she'd been abducted murdered and more likely than not, her body had been disposed of in the Keringai Chase National Park.
0: Unfortunately, there have been a lot of unsolved disappearances since Trudy went missing. A lot of young women have gone missing. So why have you ended up so fascinated by her case, Neil?
2: The Trudy Adams case was one of those that um, had huge publicity at the time she disappeared in June 1978. But it also cropped up from time to time. There were numerous re-investigations over the years. So I remember it was never far from the headlines. Um, A a number of teams of New South Wales police tried to re-investigate her disappearance and also one or two murders that appeared to be linked to her. And also we had, you know, these these terrible sexual assaults that um, everybody became aware of in 1978 after Trudy Adams disappeared because all these young women started coming forward. Trudy had disappeared and all of a sudden all these young women started coming forward and telling the detectives that they'd been abducted while hitchhiking, mostly on Baron Joey Road, but if not Baron Joey Road, you know, quite close to to that. And they'd been abducted at gunpoint, handcuffed and taken into the bush and, and sexually assaulted. So it, there was a whole... There were a number of things that... New South Wales police were trying to investigate and I think this is partly perhaps where the problem with the whole thing arose initially is that the homicide squad was sent in to look at the disappearance and certain murder of Trudy Adams when they couldn't find any trace of Trudy, they couldn't find anything, any of her jewellery or clothing, no trace certainly of her body they basically decided that their job was done, they couldn't do any anymore. But at the same time, while they were investigating her disappearance, they'd turned up all these sexual assaults. And one of the mysteries of this entire saga is why weren't those sexual assaults properly and thoroughly investigated at the time? Because a lot of young women very courageously came forward and volunteered information to police. And there's no doubt that police at the time thought the two things were inextricably linked, that is, the disappearance of Trudy and the sexual assaults. They believed the same suspects were more than likely involved. But it seems that these shocking rapes were never thoroughly investigated. They, When the homicide squad left, because they couldn't really get any more information about what had happened to Trudy, it seems that the, the rapes, the investigation into that just sort of stopped.
0: One of the things I loved about the podcast, Neil, was the way that it evoked the landscape of Baron Joey Road and the northern beaches of Sydney, but also it was so much about the time that Trudy went missing, the 1970s, and the youth culture of that area at the time. You were part of it, so can you describe it for us, please, Neil.
2: Yeah, Barron Joey Road is the thoroughfare or, or the main link, I guess, uh, through much of Sydney's northern beaches. Back in 1978, I'm pretty sure it was just two lanes. It wasn't what you'd call a, a main road or a highway by any stretch. A lot of young people on the northern beaches hitchhiked at that time and they would have hitchhiked on Barron Road, Road simply because th- there was no public transport at night. Um, it was an accepted way of doing things. There was a very strong surf culture there, beautiful beaches like Trudy Adams and her friends would spend their d- days uh, at the beach and then they'd go to parties with their friends on a Friday, Saturday night and they all knew each other. That you, The Northern Beaches, particularly back then, was probably a series of little villages really and everybody sort of knew everybody else and even when hitchhiking, it was quite frequent that you got picked up by somebody you knew or who was a friend of a friend. So you had this very laid back beach culture, a beautiful physical environment, you know, crystal clear water, white beaches. And just back from that, you had this huge mass of very rugged bushland, the Coingo Chase National Park. It was a beautiful spot. To grow up, but as as we now know, around that time, the nineteen seventies, it also had a very, very dark underbelly.
0: I don't think you can talk about that time and place though without talking about the sexism, can
2: you, Neil? It was pretty embedded. I I think there was, and I think that um, you know the girls stayed on the beach, as some of Trudy's friends told us, um, you know, years and years and years later. The girls basically stayed on the beach. The boys went out surfing. They were living this lifestyle and they were they were sort of carefree but the Trudy Adams case changed a lot of things I think I think it deeply affected um, a lot of Trudy's friends, the women and men who were who were living there who knew her uh, and it affected them for for many, many years. It was reopened around nineteen ninety five There were a number of reinvestigations. There was the investigation in 1978, which lasted full time. The homicide squad was there about six to eight weeks. They were then taken off the case, and the chief investigator was told uh, by his boss at homicide, you're a homicide investigator, not a rape investigator. And while homicide detectives continued to work on it part time, and they did, uh, and they kept on logging all the information that was coming in. Essentially, the rape cases just fell by the wayside. I mean, it seems staggering now that you could have 14 shocking assaults on young women, um, and some of them were children. They were just 14 years old, uh, and that that would just lapse. But police tried to varying degrees over the years, and they had... what well, Part of the problem was that in 1978 they had very specific suspects in mind. This guy by the name of Neville Tween. Uh, Neville Tween was the chief suspect because he'd been identified by some of the young women who'd been picked up and assaulted. Um, There was also other evidence that he'd been involved in a sexual assault on a male in pretty much exactly the same area where the young women were being assaulted. He was a career criminal. He had access to guns and handcuffs, and there were... There were other bits of information that should have told the New South Wales police that he was their their main man, but they didn't go near him for, well, 30 years. Not a single question. Um, They didn't bring pressure to bear on him in any way. It appears there was a leak from within the police investigation in 1978 because Neville Tween's lawyer actually phoned up the lead homicide investigator and said, um, I understand you're investigating my client, that is Neville Tween, um, he's not going to speak to you, he's got nothing to do with anything, he doesn't want to talk to you, which was a bit of a preemptive strike, I suppose, but the question is how did Tween's solicitor know that he was even under inquiry, because that was very tightly held by homicide police at the time. So there's a, there's a suggestion of corruption um, and certainly a leak. The Neville
0: Tween story... That you uncovered is one of those ones that makes us really paranoid, I think, about our justice system. And it makes us wonder who is living in our own communities now. Because it it comes to pass that despite his terrifying history of offending, Neville Tween was able to live and operate unhindered, it seems, in the northern beaches for decades. And not only that, he trained up several generations of other sexual predators to offend with him.
2: Well, that's exactly what he was doing. Uh, He and his associates were were preying on these young women, uh, and they were predators. They were, we believe, lying in wait. They would be in a car outside licensed premises, you know, the Newport Arms Hotel, for instance, surf club dancers, and a lot of the young women, well, in fact, the, the vast majority reported being picked up very quickly after they left the licensed premises or where they'd been drinking. And it was clear that Neville Tween, had been lying in wait with one or two of his mates and he he had this extraordinary criminal record he had been in trouble since he was a kid and yeah you're right he's living you know not far from the Newport surf club just uh, a little bit back from the beach at a place called Terry Hills and he had this extensive criminal history safe robberies robberies he was in possession of machine guns you know he had access to handguns he's he's out there in his car with one or two of his mates and the offenders seem to change over time. Neville Tween is the one, you know, the one constant in this, but the abductions, he does them with one or two of his mates. And they're, they're also pretty hardened criminals with long criminal histories in trouble with the law since they were kids. But Tween is the, the driving force in all this. And It's remarkable that, really, he was never questioned for 30 years. I mean, one of the women who was assaulted said she helped identify him, did that with the New South Wales Police, and then she said, I didn't hear anything for 26 years. Nothing.
0: Australian True Crime is a proudly independent podcast produced by us with no corporate or network overlords policing our content. Unfortunately, that means we get none of their cash either. If you'd like to sign up as a patron for the cost of a cup of coffee a month, even in these unprecedented times, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. There's a link for that in the show notes too. Thank you to these patrons, Jenny Haynes, Jonathan Coe, Tess Walsh, Vicky Jones-Alwyn, and Anne Lambeck.
3: Season 2 Baron Joey Road. I'm Ruby Jones and I'm trying to find out what happened to Trudy Adams. In 2011, after a police reinvestigation that failed to crack the case, a coronial inquest was held, a last attempt to air all the evidence interview the suspects and come up with answers at the inquest the main suspect Neville Tween was questioned for close to five hours everything he said was recorded I've got those tapes and so now for the first time ever Tween's testimony will be made public
1: Are you aware why we're here? Yes. You understand that this is an inquest into the disappearance of an 18-year-old girl or young woman in June of 1978? Yes. Without being unduly rude about it, you have a career of committing criminal offences from about the age of nine years until the importation which of course you deny of course I deny it yeah well putting that aside do you agree that you've led a life of crime no seriously serious you don't think you've led a life of crime no do you well it doesn't much matter what I think mercifully Well, you're you're making the assertion. I'm asking you. Asking your observations. He's asking a question. He's not making an assertion. Do you agree that whether it's a matter of police picking you up, there was a lot of times when you were appearing in courts as a young man and as a juvenile, accused of a great many crimes? Yes, but but the prosecutor setting me up as the big bad wolf.
3: Not only is Neville Tween refusing to answer even the most basic questions, he's also asking questions of his own. It's like he's trying to wrestle control of the whole inquest from Peter Hamill.
1: He was fairly comfortable in the fact that he knew if there was a case that was capable of proving his guilt beyond reasonable doubt, he would have been charged. Um, And so his behaviour in the witness box reflected an arrogance, I thought.
3: The counsel assisting the coroner, Peter Hamill, is now a Supreme Court judge. He says Tween was not your average witness.
1: Well, I mean, he, he was a career criminal. I mean, we deal with these people sometimes and not, not frequently. There's not all that many people that you can say, well, you know, at some point in his 20s he decided to be a criminal and that was going to be his life. And that, I think, was what Neville Tween was.
3: Most people are intimidated by the courtroom, the coroner, the robes, the whole process. It's designed that way, but not Tween. In fact, the longer Tween spends on the stand, the more arrogant he becomes. He gets impatient with all the questions about his past. He says he wants to talk about Trudy Adams and the car that was seen picking her up. If we would just consider that you
1: didn't get to New South Wales until 74, we could clear you. You follow? Yes. What about what about the car? Well, forget about the car. We'll come yeah, to the car. About it, no, no. Well, you owned, did you not? Big uh, nineteen seventy-two Holden panel van. At the time that Trudy Adams disappeared, last seen getting into a Holden panel van. On, yes. Is that right? Do you agree with that? Wait on. What, Do you agree with that? What year panel van? I don't know. It's a panel van. Now, does it have side windows in it? Did you own a panel van of that kind? Wait on, no, 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 never no, no, mind reversing that on me. No, no. Well, you oh, asked me to talk I, about panel vans. Here's a, a, here was the question. The, the way it works is, he asks the question, you don't.
3: That's not the only time that Tween makes an interesting concession and then quickly backs off from what he's just said. It happens again when tweens asked about one of his criminal associates, Len Evans. That's the guy who lives in New Zealand, who's suspected of being involved in some of those earlier assaults.
1: Did Len Evans ever come to Australia? Oh, yes. Did you ever spend any time with him in Australia? Yes, I did, yes. Um, And you were aware that he went to jail? Yes, yes, yes. There was was one exception there. What do you mean, one exception to what? Oh, we did something together. What did you do together? No interest to you. What did you do? Oh, I wouldn't say that. What did you do? not going to tell you and, uh, oh, do I have to tell him oh yes you've been asked a question you're doing well you're really keeping the whole room entertained and I think uh, well, well I don't intend to keep it entertained well, I intend to try up. and find out what's that this Trudy Adams has just gone so far this. So, they start, should put the truth on the table well, you're not going to find that out unless you start answering questions right? you sit here like. and he's not going to find out going back to New Zealand and no. walk walk
2: 13 40 years ago he was the chief suspect in the murder of Trudy Adams he was the chief suspect in at least 14 rapes we now think and a lot of the police think there's more likely to be 20 or 30 it's it's really impossible to put a number on it but it's more than what's on the official police uh, running sheets he's also drug dealing He's He seems to have led for quite a period of his life quite a charmed life in, in many ways and there's you know a suspicion as to why that is. I think there were high hopes for the inquest in 2011. It was obviously a very, very long time after Trudy disappeared. But what's pretty remarkable is that a lot of her friends turned up all those years later. A lot of her girlfriends, um, Steve Norris, her boyfriend at the time, turned up, her father and her brother, and they spent just about every day at the inquest watching the evidence unfold. And I think some of them were really hopeful that the inquest might lead to some breakthrough in the case, that finally a bit of information would be knocked loose and something would come out that would lead, if not to the conviction of Trudy's killer, then perhaps at least to the location of her body, to give some sort of Ah, uh, look, I don't like the word closure, but I suppose that's what it is in a sense, that they could finally say goodbye if they could find her body. But sadly, it just did not happen. Neville Tween, the chief suspect, was called to the inquest. By that stage, he had finally been locked up, but not for any of the sexual assaults and not for over Trudy Adams. He'd been locked up over drugs. He was in jail. He was an old man. He, you know, he displayed his complete indifference to Trudy's father, her friends, In while he was in the witness box. He was practised in the witness box. He'd been in the witness box many times over many years for various crimes and he was just dismissive. He had nothing to do with it, never met Trudy, never saw her. He did make one rather uncomfortable point, though, on which he was correct, he kept on saying, why haven't the police ever approached me about this? Why didn't they approach me back then? If I'm the chief suspect, why did nobody speak to me for like 30 years? Which was very uncomfortable because it was true and it raised all sorts of questions.
0: It seems as though the inquest was a pretty unsatisfactory affair all the way around, but did anything come out of it at all in terms of useful information, Um, anything about what happened to Trudy or where her remains might be?
2: I think what emerged in the inquest was that they'd been picking up, Neville Tween and his his mates had been picking up these young girls around Baron Joey Road. Uh, The girls had jumped into the back of the car They'd then been confronted by the passenger holding a gun in their face. Um, They were handcuffed, their eyes were taped, and they were taken into the bushland. In one instance, a woman who got into the car had the gun pointed at her, and she'd had a few drinks, but she thought it was some sort of practical joke, and she actually said to the men, you're joking, grabbed for the gun, which then went off Um, the bullet obviously narrowly missing her because she lived to tell what had happened. And that, I think, gave police a glimpse of what might have happened to Trudy Adams, that she was a very strong young woman. Um, Feisty was a word that was used to describe her at the inquest. And Steve Norris, her boyfriend at the time she went missing, and previously her mother, um, who had died some years earlier, but they had both said she would have resisted any attack, very, very strongly, and police believe that that's what happened to Trudy, that the gun was pointed at her, or a gun was pointed at her, she grabbed for it and in the resulting struggle it went off and she was killed, and that her body was most likely disposed of somewhere in the Keringai Chase National Park, which is was, was a very rugged area of bushland. I think people were very disappointed and... One of the emotions that her friends have explained to Ruby Jones, my co-author, and myself over the last couple of years is the anger that they felt at the inquest and the anger that they've felt over many years that this was never investigated as thoroughly as it should have been uh, and was never investigated in a timely fashion. That it sort of went on for years and hopes were raised and hopes would raised and dashed and raised again and then dashed again by an, a new inquiry. I think anger is is probably the predominant emotion for a lot of them. Sadness, obviously, because it's never been solved and her body has never been found. But I think there's a fair degree of anger there, as I say, that more should have been done. And that's not just the view of Trudy's friends. It's the view of a number of police who have been involved in re-investigations down through the decades that not enough was done at the time. Leads were simply not followed up. Uh, you know, people weren't interviewed. And it was really unsatisfactory. The inquest, I think people left that inquest feeling that it was unsatisfactory and that the whole episode had not been handled well, to say the least.
0: There's a lot of new information in this book, again, so you and Ruby Jones are obviously still working on this investigation. What inspired you to keep going with it after the podcast and the documentary?
2: I think what inspired us was to hopefully find some sort of answer as to what might have happened to Trudy. Um, As I say, you, you live in hope and cases, there's always somebody out there who knows something and even though it's a very long time ago, Neville Tween may have said things to some people. Um, There might be somebody who stumbled across a bit of information years ago who wasn't at the time willing to come forward, but who um, might be now more willing to do so. And so I think Ruby and I felt that she deserved better than what she'd had. She deserved some justice and, you know, that the book might, it's a long shot, but just might, um lead somebody to come forward with a new piece of information
0: The chemistry between you and Ruby Jones is fantastic and given that you both decided to work on another incarnation on a book I gather that it's it's a harmonious working relationship
2: It was it was a really great experience working with Ruby I mean she brought a fresh eye to it she you know she had not been around Obviously, when, when Trudy disappeared, um, she hadn't had that much to do with crime, New South Wales police, corruption. So she had a completely, you know, fresh perspective. And, you know, it, it, it was a long and difficult inquiry and case to cover because we were uncovering stuff, information as we went. For instance, when we found Steve Norris, Trudy's boyfriend, uh, at the time in 78, he had actually kept a huge trove of documents uh, which were invaluable in the television series and also the podcast, but also um, probably even more valuable for the book that we've just published because it was seven volumes of um, seven lever arch folders of information, including all the police running sheets, the day-to-day events that they record in those days on a typewriter and on a piece of paper, not on a computer, Um, what's happening day-to-day, information coming in from the public, information from Trudy's family, um, interviews with suspects, interviews with the victims of the sexual assaults. So you had this contemporaneous record of what was going on in the police investigation, a day-by-day description, really, and that, you know, that information fell into our lap by Steve Norris. We weren't expecting that at all, and that was just a huge breakthrough for us because it gave us a very good insight into the difficulties that the police faced. They, They were, it was before computers, they were swamped with members of the public phoning up with theories about what had happened to Trudy, um sightings of panel vans, you know, all this sort of stuff. So it, it did give Ruby and myself a pretty good insight into what the police were facing at the time.
0: Uh, you so often find that with cold cases, don't you, that someone's held on to a treasure trove of material just hoping that it'll be useful someday, that someone will come back around again.
2: You're right. It it is interesting that there's often one person who keeps a whole pile of documentation and, and this was the case with Steve Norris and it had been sitting in um, a shed since the inquest which was 2011 so it had been sitting in these boxes gathering dust for years and years and before that it had been sitting in you know the government archive or the police archive for, for decades gathering dust so discovering that was was like a finding some sort of treasure for us in terms of the information that was contained in there.
0: So have you and Ruby solved the case of the disappearance of Trudy Adams?
2: I don't know if I'd go that far, um, but I think there's little doubt that the police who reinvestigated it believed that Neville Tween was responsible for the disappearance of Trudy Adams um, and certainly the rapes that took place in the 70s on the Northern Beaches. Uh, multiple rapes. They had little doubt that he was involved in that because he'd been identified by some of the women. There was other evidence that pointed it, to it being him, and they also believed that he was more than likely responsible for the disappearance of Trudy. So, I don't know. You can say we've solved it. Um, we believe it. It was Neville Tween and one of his associates at the time. You know, everything points to him. And indeed, there's people from his own family uh, who actually believe it was, they're pretty much certain it was him.
0: Seeing the case, but also the gender politics of the era through both of your eyes is a really interesting part of the Baron Joey Road project, I reckon, because Ruby Jones is every bit a young female ABC journalist from Sydney. She's a very, you know, particular sort of young woman. And she lives a very different life and has a very different world view to that of Trudy and her friends. They were very particular young women as well. You know, they're living in the, the northern beaches of Sydney in the 70s, and you are the bridge between those two worlds. Was it an interesting experience for you just to be sort of Ruby's tour guide into Trudy's world?
2: Look, look it was, um, because I was around then, and I used to hitchhike to go to the beach, um, and Back in those days, and I guess it's a little different, I was a a young teenage boy, but people used to hitchhike to go to the beach and it was very carefree. I think we had a lot more freedom to do things, we were allowed out a lot more, Um, I mean, just going to the beach by yourself a lot. The young kids there were in this beautiful part of Australia, you know, magic surf, beautiful beaches, really pretty and you know and sort of remote um it's called the insular peninsula and that's partly because people who are born there more than likely don't leave um because they don't have much reason to uh, as far as they're concerned it's a very very beautiful part of the world and why would you leave Um, so it's like this little community within itself within sydney and it's just a, a magic spot and i think It was a carefree lifestyle for many of them back then. The disappearance of Trudy Adams changed that, I think, in the minds of a lot of young people because, well, it happened, but also partly because it was never solved.
0: Thank you to Neil Mercer, who, along with Ruby Jones, has written Baron Joey Road, the book, It's the next instalment of their investigation into the unsolved crimes on Sydney's northern beaches in the 1970s and 80s. It's available now through ABC Books. Thank you to these patrons, Danielle Quarrell, Pip Gallard, Carolyn Lubbock, Mary Rosten and Kate Bird, and thank you to you so much for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week.
1: This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the ACAST Creator Network.